I'm Jim Cameron of Jim Cameron Consulting, broadcasting from the Fountainhead, the home of Synergy Billing in Holly Hill, and I'm your host for Volusia Matters, a program that delves into the latest in Volusia's governmental and political issues. Now, this show will include interviews with city and county as well as school board officials, members of our legislative and congressional delegations, and other members in the political community on a variety of topics. But everything will focus on matters that impact Volusia, directly or indirectly. And now for the news. I I just have wonderful news. We've heard from uh, the Office of Management Budget uh, and the uh, Corps of Engineers that the Daytona Beach stormwater retention uh, feasibility study and design uh, has finally been approved uh, and funded in the Army Corps of Engineers work plan. At Wednesday night's meeting, Daytona Beach City Commissioners received a call from Congressman Michael Waltz, who announced that $3 million has been approved for an Army Corps of Engineers design study for flood control projects in Daytona Beach. Normally, $1 million would be allocated over three years, but Waltz stated that all $3 million has been allocated at once, which should expedite construction funds to reconstruct the city's infrastructure to mitigate the impacts of flooding. He also stated the study should begin this spring. It's likely the study will focus on the Nova Road Canal, which runs from Ormond to Port Orange, which has caused widespread flooding in Daytona Beach's midtown neighborhoods. Mayor Derrick Henry said the study and flood prevention projects will be transformational for Daytona Beach. At that same meeting, Daytona Beach commissioners approved a 15-year incentive agreement with Clyde Morris Partners, whereby the city will pay a $60,000 maximum to Partners to construct and manage 227 affordable apartments. Their rental rates shall not exceed the 30% limit for low-income households. Payment will be made after partners' rental rates are reviewed to assure that targeted households have been served. On February 28th, New Smyrna Beach City Commissioners discussed economic development strategy as it relates to Southeast Volusia. Last year, the City Commission approved a commercial space industry opportunity overlay to identify permitted sites to attract space-related industries. Funding sources to implement segments of the overall plan include city, county, state, federal, and private funding sources such as grants and industrial revenue bonds. Next item. On January 19th, the Florida Department of Transportation's A1A Resiliency Strike Team kicked off plans to repair 
and strengthen 13 miles of A1A in Volusia and Flagler counties. A team from FDOT, the county, Army Corps of Engineers, and Department of Environmental Protection will focus on constructability, environmental and wildlife impacts, aesthetics, and cost aspects. Their next meeting will be March 8th, 5.30 at the casements in Ormond Beach. Look for city and county officials to attend this meeting. Next item, the State of the County Luncheon took place at the Ocean Center with approximately 500 attendees. County Chair Jeff Brower provided a recap of what took place in 2022, including Hurricanes Ian and Nicole's extensive flooding Beach erosion, which caused more than $357 million in property damage. Brower stated the council will likely have to address whether to move the coastal construction control line westward, which would only allow construction on the west side of A1A. Brower then stated the council must focus on water quality and that the Halifax, Indian, St. John's, and Tomoka Rivers are on the state's impaired waters list. It was also mentioned that the council adopted a five-year strategic plan to expand the availability of affordable housing and allocated $1 million for Halifax Urban Ministries to provide a temporary shelter on Derbyshire Road for homeless vets. The council also partnered with Charter Communications to provide broadband internet service to rural areas of the county with no reliable high-speed internet connection or no service at all. Look for more details of this meeting in my newsletter coming next week. On February 28th, the Florida Department of Transportation hosted a public meeting regarding a project development environmental study for LPGA Boulevard from US 92 to Williamson Boulevard. Over 100 participants were at this meeting. FDOT project manager Stephen Buck provides details. Uh, the project is evaluating widening LPGA Boulevard from two to four lanes from US 92 to Timber Creek Road and then from four to six lanes from Timber Creek Road over to Williamson Boulevard. It includes replacement of the Timber Creek Bridge and uh, includes a brand new signalized turbine interchange. So four lanes today, it'll be six lanes that'll go through and then it'll have an additional two turn lanes on it uh, to service the intersection on either side of, Timber, of the Tomoka River Bridge. Only one problem, construction money for this project has not been designated. Next item, the county's Environmental Natural Resources Advisory Committee met this week to review and provide recommendations on the county's tree ordinance. Also, Belusia's Tourist Development Council, which makes recommendations regarding bed tax revenues, met and heard a sales and marketing report from Ocean Center Director Tim Riddle. 
Also, each CVB director provided an update on their most recent quarter and some meetings that you might want to add to your calendar this month. River to Sea, TPO, Board of Directors, March 22nd, Daytona International Airport, Central Florida Commuter Rail Commission, March 23rd, Lynx Administration Building in Orlando, Team Volusia Economic Development Board Meeting, March 24th, Sanborn Center in DeLand, Volusia Elected Officials Roundtable, March 13th, Daytona International Airport, and Volusia County Council, March 7th, County Administration Building in DeLand. Next item, the Florida Chamber held its pre-session legislative fly-in in Tallahassee last week. Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo and House Speaker Paul Renner agreed to work with Governor DeSantis on several tort reform measures, including House Bill 837, which would eliminate insurers paying plaintiff attorney's fees who successfully file auto accident lawsuits. Renner said the intent is to lower auto and property insurance costs. Plaintiffs, attorneys, and Democrats who oppose the bill say limiting lawsuits and legal fees unjustly affects injured individuals. Some other bills, House Bill 1 and Senate Bill 202 would make every Florida student eligible for state-backed vouchers that could be used for private school tuition. These bills would also create flex education savings accounts to be used for tutoring services and other instructional needs. Another item, House Speaker Renner highlighted House Bill 3, which would block state investments related to ESG, that meaning environmental, social, and government governance standards. ESG investment funds only include companies that adhere to their policies for climate change, racial inequity, and supply chain labor standards. The bill would require state and local government investment decisions to be made solely on financial factors. State CFO Jimmy Petronas has already taken the reins on this issue as it relates to state funds. Now, another topic at this, mentioned at this conference was crime. Now, Governor DeSantis has visited Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago in an effort to recruit police officers. DeSantis's proposed budget includes new money to combat fentanyl in Florida cities. And here's Attorney General Ashley Moody to explain the legislation. 
So y'all looking at legislation for the upcoming session as it relates to fentanyl? Yeah, I stood with Governor DeSantis just recently. We announced some great legislation to give more resources to our law enforcement teams to interdict fentanyl and also to strengthen penalties for those that are manufacturing illicit substances, deadly substances like fentanyl to look like food products or package them in, in packaging that looks like candy that might attract minors. That We're seeing more and more of that. In Florida, that will not be tolerated. We'll do everything we can to protect our children. The Florida legislative session begins Tuesday, March 7th in Tallahassee, and I'll be up there on a regular basis so more of these and other bills will be part of my legislative status podcast starting next Friday. Next item, an update on the U.S. debt limit. As you know, the current U.S. debt is $31 trillion and growing, but the Congressional Budget Office estimates the federal government could see an additional $19 trillion in debt over the next decade. For more information on this, look for my newsletter coming out next week. And some miscellaneous updates. Francesca Audino will be the new caseworker for District 7 Congressman Corey Mills. Their office will be in Port Orange City Hall, and their phone number will be 238-9711. As I said, they'll be located in Port Orange City Hall. And there's a new office number for Congressman Michael Waltz, whose office is now located at Ormond Beach City Hall. Their number is 281-4949. And there you'll find Ernie Aldino, Randy Anderson, and Sue Bauer. And before we interview today's guest, I'd like to put in a word about Fountainhead. Jason Myers Headquarters Campus in Holly Hill for Synergy Billing. This facility is on the site of the old Holly Hill Middle School, 1200 Center Avenue, just north of LPGA Boulevard. Synergy Billing, a medical billing and coding company, is just one segment of Fountainhead, and there's more to come, so stay tuned. And now for today's guest, Representative Chase Tremont is our newly elected member to the Florida House District 30, which is southeast Volusia down to Brevard. Previously, he was a Port Orange City Council member he is a marketing manager for DME Delivers in Daytona Beach and was a board member for First Step Shelter. He was a pastor for 10 years before teaching American history and coaching basketball at Spruce Creek High School. Now, for the coming session, his committee assignments are Commerce Committee, and then serving on the Insurance and Banking Subcommittee, also Collective Bargaining, Judiciary. He's also the Children and Families and Seniors Subcommittee, as well as Ethics, Elections, and Open Government Subcommittee. We're sure glad to have you with us today, Chase. Now, I know you've been up there in Tallahassee for the last few weeks for committee meetings. 
Anything you can share with us on meetings? Uh, you know, uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me, Jim. Always a pleasure to be with you, brother. Um, sure. You know, we've uh, we to be quite honest, we've had a, a number of meetings uh, that have been that have been canceled in and out. Um, it's hard to tell you when uh, when some of our meetings are going to actually happen or not. Um, a lot of bills are, are still yet to come back. I, I serve on three subcommittees and three uh, or two big committees. Uh, so typically our the Judiciary and the Commerce Committee, we're, we're not going to hear most of these bills uh, until they've gone through the subcommittees uh, at, at this time. Uh, so and a lot of your, you know, on the insurance and banking subcommittee, uh, we're, you know, we didn't meet, we didn't meet today. We we're actually supposed to meet today, but we didn't have it. Uh, you know, typically we don't, if we don't have major bills to hear, we're not going to meet yet. So, uh, I expect it certainly to pick up, uh, the first week of session. Okay. Okay. When I chase in your campaign platform last year, you stated your views on several topics, for instance, law enforcement, you said public safety is the backbone of civilized society and you're proud of Florida's leadership in supporting law enforcement. And that's pretty straightforward. Um, any bills that forthcoming that you see in the upcoming session? I don't have any bills directly dealing with that, although I am on uh, uh, the collective bargaining uh, committee. Uh, it'll be a while before we meet with that. And typically that'll be something we'll just we'll vote on whatever has been negotiated. Uh, we'll, of course, get our two cents in there. Um, uh, without going into detail, I have not seen all the proposals, but I have certainly met with a number of law enforcement and fire fire and rescue uh, teams. There, there should be uh, expected to be some adjustments made to uh, uh, benefits packages, uh, you know, years in service, things of that nature. Uh, when we're certainly willing to work and um, uh, and give the support where needed, so uh, I think it'll be a good year for for fire and rescue for law enforcement uh, as it comes in. Of course, the incentives that. Governor DeSantis had last year to bring in more law enforcement to our state. People are coming here to the state uh, because we do we do it right. We treat them well here. Uh, we expect to continue that and uh, continue to uh, get a little better. Good, good. Next, economic growth. You're a proponent of the free market and will continue to oppose higher taxes, unreasonable, unnecessary regulations on small businesses. Any bills that you foresee on this topic? Uh, yes, and uh, and and um, being on the Commerce Committee, I expect to hear a good number of them. Um, I, I'm not aware of. I mean, you you've been in the process long enough. You know, there are thousands of bills that are filed, so we don't get a. We're not really we are privy, but we don't really have time to go through every single one of them until they come to us as a committee. Then it'll start to be aware. I am aware that uh, you know one of the big uh, one of the big pushes will be for uh, holding local governments accountable and expediting the permitting process. You know, that's always been an issue. And you know, my, my years in, in local government, and that's been an issue that I've been uh, working to address very difficult, even within our own city. Uh, the fact is, time is money. And when you're, you know, everything, nobody can do anything, whether it's reconstruction, redevelopment, additions, whatever it is, you can't do it without the permitting process. We have to ask the government far too much for permission to do pretty much anything on our private property. That being said, since we as a state and we have uh, we have laws that require that permission to be granted, then we are we we should have the due diligence to make sure that that is done in a very very timely process. So I think you'll see something coming out of the state that's going to hold uh, some municipalities' feet to the fire to be more expeditious in 
in granting these uh, these permits for whatever purpose is needed. And that's especially true because we're hearing a lot about the permitting process as it relates to uh, beachside hotels and and uh, other facilities over there getting well, back on the beach. Well, yes, and as it pertains to directly in our county, that we've been working very diligently, very hard with uh, the DEP and the uh, FWC in order not to just grant the permits for seawall reconstruction over there. Of course, we know that our entire economy is based on tourism and that beach in Volusia County. Uh, you know, we have we have other diverse diversified. Uh, means of economic growth there, of course, as well. But that is obviously the the main economic driver. And the biggest deal right now is to get in that seawall reconstructed uh, and constructed in, in, you know, for the first time in many places. And the the problem is right now, the way, and as you are well, well aware of the issue is that uh, people can start their construction of these, uh, of these seawalls, but then by May 1st and turtle season starts, they have to stop construction. So they can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on construction uh, materials, co uh, contract services, anything and everything. And then when that date hits, they lose it all because they can't continue the seawall. In addition to that, they've they've left their, their properties wide open to whatever destruction that natural disasters can bring in this next hurricane season. So we're working very hard to try to get everybody in agreements. And I think the county is starting to see, I've met with Clay Irvin a number of times, Think he's starting to feel a little bit more positive about getting uh getting some some mitigation in that so we're not what we're asking for basically is an open-ended permit to allow construction to take place because it, they can grant it past may 1st to say june 1st or july and that that's just not enough you can't pick, pick a specified date there has to be a way in which we can mitigate uh, the turtle nesting season, along with the construction that desperately needs to take place. So we're working hard with that. We're using whatever power and influence that we have in our office to get that done. Unfortunately, that's just a bureaucratic nightmare that we we have to deal with in government. I understand. And and Clay, you mentioned, is doing a fantastic job over there with the county, though. Uh, next item, uh, education. Now, I know you taught American history at Spruce Creek High School, and that you said that parents are the highest stakeholders and should be first in the decision-making process for our schools, and that you that a strong workforce begins with education, and that you support vouchers and higher paid for qualified teachers. Again, same as before, any type bills that you foresee coming up on education this session. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any particular bills. I, I have one bill dealing with education. Uh, it doesn't really have doesn't really address this so much, but it does. Uh, um, it, it's more geared towards special needs. Uh, we've just filed a bill requiring uh, cameras in classrooms um, with that uh, that have only that only classrooms that have students with who are nonverbal. Uh, we're not we're not trying to expand it everywhere else. I as a teacher would not have supported. Uh, cameras in all the classrooms either, uh, but in a, in a, in a classroom in which there are children who cannot speak for themselves, cannot uh, tell their parents why they may have a scratch or a bruise on them. Uh, I, I think uh, um, I, I think is a disservice to the families. So uh, and frankly to the teachers because you know you've got it on both ends. You've got a lot of uh, uh, students, and we've seen stories, local stories. Uh, in which, um, you know, children with special needs or nonverbal have been uh, uh, 
mishandled, uh, mistaken care of in, in, in the classroom. And, you know, you need you need to have some documentation for that. Um, I mean, I have a nonverbal student uh, child of my own. There are a number of times he's come over with a scratch or a bruise and he can't tell me what happened. I've never suspected anything of, of the teacher. He has wonderful teachers uh, at Horizon Elementary over there. Uh, but still, the inability to explain what happened to their parent, uh, that, that, that lead, that's a cause for concern for a lot of parents. And frankly, it's, it, it would be a protection for teachers as well, uh, because, um, you know, you can always make the accusation of a teacher, but teacher will have the liberty to say, no, 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 go back and look at the tape. This never happened. So it can serve uh, both parties very well. But uh, that being said, in, in regards to education in and of itself, I'm a proud sponsor, uh, co-sponsor of HB1, the largest expansion of school choice in, in the history of the country, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I, I believe that parents should not be secluded uh, to where their child is going to be educated simply by the street that they chose to live on and raise their family at. Uh, you know, anytime you can know uh, the school, the school system should be no different than any other product or commodity or service. When you open it up to greater competition and greater choices, you should yield a better product because competition has been expanded. So if we really believe that, and that is a conservative principle, that is a value that I believe to be true, then it should apply in any area, in any circumstance. So uh, we're finally going to put... Uh, uh, our money where our mouth is uh, with the, with this bill, and um, I'm I'm thrilled about it. Okay, okay. Now, <clears throat> you filed House Joint Resolution 405, which is prohibition on open primaries and nonpartisan elections. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, it does two things. Um, <clears throat> one, it gets rid of the open primary loophole. In the state of Florida, you know, we have partisan races uh, for the House, uh, you know, Senate, you know, whatever. Uh, when you have uh, a Democrat and a Republican running, you've got your Democrat primary, you've got your Re Republican primary. Democrats can't vote in Republican primaries and vice versa. Well, what happens is um, when you're running for an office like that and somebody from the opposing party or the opposing party has not put up a candidate of their own choosing, then if there are only two Republicans running or there are only two Democrats running, then that primary, which would normally be a primary, now becomes an open primary. Everybody can vote uh, for that. The Democrats can vote now in a, uh, of the, between the two Republicans. The Republicans vote can vote between the two Democrats now. Uh, I believe that to be fundamentally wrong. I understand there are people that don't want parties. However, every, most everybody has chosen to affiliate themselves with a party. There are hundreds of parties out there. People keep saying we're a two-party system. No, we're not. We have all sorts of political parties out there. We're a, a majority two-party system. Uh, and, and in some sense, you know, now the MPAs uh, have, have become. But the fact is, when you're in a party, you have, or if you're not in a party, you have chosen to be a, a member of the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, and if your party has not has chosen not to put somebody up to represent your values, your interests, and in your party, well, you should not be able to infiltrate, for lack of a better word, uh, and manipulate the party's choosing of their for their candidate. I don't believe that. So, um, so I, my bill would get rid of that. And frankly, both parties. Uh, 
Uh, both parties are, you're going to have people in both parties that like this, and you're going to have people in both parties that do not like this. You know, you had, um, uh, you had, you know, in, in my race, there was a write-in candidate. What you can do is you can put a write-in candidate to close your primary. If there's a write-in candidate there, then the Democrats can't vote in the Republican primary and Republicans can't vote in Democrat primary. The Democrats did that up in uh, North Jacksonville as well. There were five Democrats running, no Republican. There was a write-in candidate in there that closed the primary. Uh, so, you know, no, nobody wants uh, the other party to be able to manipulate their party's candidate uh, of choice. So that's what this does is simply protect that. Um, and the other aspect to it is nonpartisan, uh, getting rid of uh, nonpartisan elections in local municipal elections. Now, that will likely be controversial, particularly among the cities uh, and towns around the state. But let's just call it what it is. Uh, and you've been in local politics long enough. There's no such thing as a nonpartisan race. Oh, yeah. Every, both parties are actively, extremely actively engaged in every race uh, throughout the county. So they're already uh, partisan races. This would sure. just make it official. And the fact that we have a law on the books that prevents a candidate from being able to tell the voters who they are at their core, I, I find that uh, to be wrong, frankly, because this is an issue of transparency, period. When I went, when I, I knocked on thousands of doors in uh, Volusia County uh, when I was running for, uh, you know, for my city seat and my reelection campaign. And the most commonly asked question I got, uh, if I were asked a question, the most commonly asked question you get is, what party are you? What party are you affiliated yeah. with? And I've, I've, I've come across that as well. Well, and look at any social media, you know, Facebook ad or whatever you see when you're scrolling through the uh, the thing, you see a video, someone running for city council, someone running for county council, and read the comments on there. It's, it's fascinating to see how many people will say, what party are they? How come they're not listing their party? Why are they afraid to list their party? Fact is, we're not allowed to. Uh, so, and, and your party affiliation is uh, is an indication of where your values are, what your principles are, where you stand on, how you view uh, policy. Uh, so that that and that, frankly, forget about all that. Forget about you know why. The reality is that's what the majority of people want to know. If that's what they want to know then this is an issue of transparency, the fact that we're not allowed to tell them. And I would, uh, I would even at the very least, you know, all, you know how the process is. You always get amendments and it goes through and people like sure. certain things you don't. Uh, I'm not interested in having two different, uh, you know, a Democrat primary and a Republican primary for all these, because that would be a greater cost to the city. I'm not looking for it to have a, have a cost. I just don't think that we should be preventing candidates from being able to indicate who they are. So if a candidate, you know, I, I would settle at the least if a candidate wants to include R or D next to their name on the ballot, they should have that option to do that. If they don't, if they would prefer not to, so be it. Uh, but uh, to, to, to force them to withhold their party affiliation when yep. that is what the majority of people want to know, 
that uh, that's an incredible lack of transparency. And I think everybody, regardless of the party affiliation, wants complete transparency in their elections and that this would provide. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to jump to final question here because uh, Chase is a minister. I know your passion for helping homeless individuals. And I remember a couple of years ago, you and I had about a 90 minute phone conversation on Friday night, about eight o'clock as it relates to funding for first step shelter. I remember that phone call, but, uh, and I, and I, and I commend you for that, but, uh, and I know you supported Port Orange's panhandling ordinance as well, but uh, another item is attainable workforce housing, something we need very, very much here in Volusia. So uh, can we expect ample funding coming out of this session? Uh, funding for what exactly? Workforce housing like the Sadowski Fund for uh, SHIP and for the SAIL programs. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm not. I, I would imagine, but I can't speak to that. And I, I don't serve on any of the appropriations uh, committees. Um, but it, I, I will tell you, in regard to to housing, I mean, again, this is this is always a touchy issue because this is an issue that transcends party lines in in how people choose to address it. You know, first of all, I'll say yes in regards to the homeless shelter. I, uh, I I consider myself a compassionate conservative. Uh, I don't believe, uh, I'll never believe in, in offering a hand out to people, but I do believe in offering a hand up. That's why I'm very supportive of the First Step Shelter because of the program behind it. It's not just designed to offer people a come as you are, stay as you are uh, program where you can just get off the street for the night, we'll feed you, and then you can go back out and on your merry way. That, in my opinion, just enables uh, homelessness to continue. The fact that we have a program in there that invites people in to say, listen, come as you are, but you're not staying as you are. There's a program here that's going to help you become productive members of society again. That's exactly the conservative mindset and how we should be addressing. That's a humane mindset that we should be addressing homelessness is to make sure that we're not just giving them a warm meal and a place to, to sleep. That, that's not the problem. The problem isn't uh, not having a place to put your head down at night. The problem is holistically as the, the medical needs or mental needs to be addressed. Uh, and then there's a pathway to get them back into a position to offer them a career, offer them some sort of a change and be a help in that mindset. And there's spiritual needs of that, of course. Uh, so, uh, you know, we put uh, the first step shelter, I think, well over 200 people back into permanent housing now. But I know you didn't ask about uh, homelessness, but I wanted to address that in regards to housing in general. And I've never really and I appreciate you use workforce housing and attainable housing because that's what I use. I don't call anything affordable housing. I just put attainable housing because exactly. you can afford whatever you can afford uh, and you can't afford what you can't what you can't afford. But this is a touchy issue because, you know, what I find fascinating, a lot of it's done at the local level here. Uh, you know, we can fund things that will help with grants for particular people who are low income. And I'm and I'm all for that. Uh, I have no issues with that. Um, but housing is always going to be an issue that's going to be addressed at the local level through uh through their their acceptance or lack of acceptance of increased development out uh, around the communities. I know there are people that just want to move to Volusia County and then close the door behind them and say nobody else is allowed in. 
But that, I mean, is that reality? But you also has a, a, a private property rights issue. Now, I'm, 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 I'm tremendous on the on the private property rights. When people purchase a land; they don't just purchase a land for to sit on it. You purchase a land to make a profit with it. That's the that, just like any other product or commodity. Again, housing is the same way. If you reduce the ability to have, if you reduce the ability to have, I, I see it. Uh, if you reduce the ability to allow more housing to come in, then what you've done, you reduce the supply, the demand goes up, cost goes up. It's basic economics uh, in that regard. So that's just going to continue to be developed uh, uh, through zoning uh, through zoning and ordinance changes, things of that nature that local governments have to deal with. I'm not suggesting that they need to rezone to higher density, things of that nature, but all those things are 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 in, of, of consideration. Schools are consideration, the types of jobs that you have, everything. So that's a longer, much longer subject, and I know you're running out of time. Uh, Chase, again, well, we sure appreciate it. Again, that's going to be uh, one that I know y'all hopefully address and all, but uh, Thank you ever so much for joining us today and look forward to seeing you up there in Tallahassee for the upcoming session. Uh, let us know when you come up. I'll always make time for you, brother. Thank you for everything, your uh, your years of support and friendship, brother. You got her, pal. See you, Jim. Take care, Chase. Hey, hey, is that uh, uh, that uh, cash offer still on your, uh, on your voicemail? $1,000. Cash. Cash. Atta baby. <laughs> See you, Jim. Take care. <laughs> And again, I'd like to thank today's guest, Representative Chase Tremont, for joining us. And I want to again announce, as of this minute, the U.S. debt stands at $31.5 trillion, and it's growing by the minute. Now, look for a new podcast episode to be released next week. And the views expressed on this podcast may or may not necessarily express the opinions of Jim Cameron Consulting. And for more news, check out my newsletter, which is emailed each month. And if you're not receiving it, call me at 566-2140. And if I miss your call and not return it in eight business hours, I'll pay you $1,000. And listen for my legislative recap podcast starting next Friday, March 10th. And each Friday where I will focus on specific bills moving through the House and Senate. Now, one more thing. I'd like to get your feedback on this podcast. I know my voice may be a tad slow, but that ain't going to change. But do you have a particular guest you think I should interview or is there a specific news item that I should mention? Email and text me your comments. Now, before I close, I'd like to ask that you support the Halifax Humane Society. My buddy, Pam Clayton, runs a good operation located at the I-95 and LPGA intersection. Check out their website, www halifaxhumanesociety.org. And I got to mention an old friend, Mel Stack, who has gone above and beyond his, in his support of the Humane Society. This is Jim Cameron signing off, saying peace, love, and roll tide.